Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. I want to bring in Peter Hooper, Deutsche Bank Securities Global Head of Economic Research. Here's a take from Morgan Stanley. The Fed's reaction function means risks skew asymmetrically to rate cuts over rate hikes in the next couple of years. Peter, is that the Deutsche Bank take too? Uh, absolutely. Uh, my, my, my colleague Matt Luzzetti put out a very nice report over the weekend. Um, the, we, we expect the Fed to be on hold for the year ahead. Uh, we expect a, 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 a key change mid-year. Jay Powell has been telling us, uh, expect us to give, us, give you the results of our year of uh, policy review here. The, the major factor in that uh, report will be uh, a, 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 a strengthening of the, the symmetric inflation target, uh, recognizing that they've been below 2% for the last decade, and we're going to be above 2%. We're going to aim to overshoot a bit on inflation. We're going to have a makeup strategy. We're going to have some inflation averaging here. Uh, problem is, inflation is not going to be cooperating yet. We see inflation remaining below 2% over the year ahead. Um, many in the Fed do as well. Uh, and certainly that seems to be the consensus. Phillips curve is still very flat. Fed has some work to do. We think with the announcement in June, they will, they will bring down the dots. Right now they're expecting rate increases in 2021 and 22. Those will come down. They're not gonna cut rates this year. They, we think they'll be patient. They'll, they'll, lay, they'll let, the, let yeah. things play out a while, get, after, get past the election, get past the politics, et cetera. Early first half of 2021, we're expecting a 50 basis point rate cut in order to get inflation finally above 2%. Just to jump in, Peter, why wait until the monetary policy review is complete? Don't you get the sense that even as this monetary policy review is ongoing, that it's already become a part of the decision making process on the FOMC? Well, you know, so why did why did we get a, a, a set of dots in the December meeting that had rate increases in 2021 and 22? So it's not there yet. Okay, Powell has said very clearly, we'll give you the results middle of next year. We're not there yet. We're still assessing. So, yes, it may be working its way in, and you are hearing people, you are hearing increasingly various Fed members say, I wouldn't be surprised to see inflation go above 2%, you know. So you're, you're hearing it. But it's not there yet in the policy yeah. setting. I don't, I don't think they want to cut rates this year. Eight, over years, the next eight year. years, nine years ago, Dr. Hooper, Olivier, with Olivier Blanchard's leadership at the IMF, this is March of 2011, conference, uh, there's a conference on jump-starting inflation. I'm looking for the title of it right now. You were probably at the conference. I wish I'd been there. A conference on macro and growth policies in the wake of the crisis. We're still talking now what Olivier Blanchard was leading on in 2011. <laughs> is there any evidence institutions can jumpstart reflation? You know, uh, I, the, the Phillips curve is not totally dead. We did a lot of research earlier this year. Looking, oh, come on. Look, you got the embalming oh, fluid no, 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 out. No, no. <laughs> is it cremation or are we going to go with a full bag? Hey, look, it's, it's dead at the national level because the Fed has basically killed it. The Fed has, over, the Fed has been overemphasizing any time we get toward a tight labor market, it doesn't allow us to go there. Prior to 1980, uh, the average unemployment rate was, was well below NARU. Average labor market was tight. Since 1980, the average unemployment rate's been about close to 1%. It's been a loose 
loose labor market situation. I think we need to get the unemployment rate significantly below the natural rate, and the natural rate, the NARU, has been climbing down. It's it's four percent or less now. We need to get into something. We need to get into a two-handle of unemployment before we're going to see inflation take off. We're going to have a negative unemployment rate. Well, this is (laughs) (laughs) negative negative unemployment rate. I think that this academic discussion of is inflation dead uh, has a very real uh, underpinning of the existential crisis right now in markets. And yes, I used the word existential this morning. Uh, and, And this is that is the sort of low inflation rate, the low growth rate, fundamentally inconsistent with the risk uh, price asset, uh, the, the sort of risk rally that we have seen over the past few years. How much further can it go on the heels of low inflation, low rates, mm. if there is something fundamentally broken uh, with the inflation and the wage growth kind of uh, uh, bleed through? Well, uh, that is the one risk in this in this, this picture. And a very interesting uh, uh, talk that uh, Eric Rosengren, Boston Fed President, gave in New York yesterday, where he said, look, this, this is a risk. We need, we need to do some uh, <clears throat> counter, some, uh, you know, we need to control things a little bit. Let's raise uh, the counter cyclical capital buffers of the banking system. Okay. We, there are some things we could be doing to reduce some of this risk this financial risk. Yes, valuations are looking a little high. Yes, corporate credit growth has been uh, a little lofty. We're nowhere near the, the level of financial risk we had in the late 90s, for example. Uh, that, that, that we're, we're not there. I think we can push, push further to get the unemployment rate down further to begin to get inflation up, but we have to be a little bit, of caution, a little bit cautious with what's happening on the financial side, no question. Peter, final question for you, just to tap into some of the research I know you and the team have been working on. A lot of people looking at the data worldwide in Q4 2019 into Q1 2020, looking for stabilization in the global economy. I don't know if the recovery is U-shaped. I have no idea if it's L-shaped. I'm trying to work out whether, to your point, is it green shoots or a false dawn? Which one is it? Uh, that was a record cliche. Man, you had eight cliches in that. It's the front okay. page of their no, research. No, no, you killed it. L-shaped green shoot. <laughs> He's trying to backpedal now. No, He's trying to absolutely backpedal. L-shaped green Deutsche Bank, shoot, special report, all right, all right. global growth, green shoots or false dawn. Okay. False dawn? <laughs> let's, let's think green shoots, okay? Maybe there's a little bit of false dawn still in Europe. There's some question marks there, but uh, we think China is going to be looking a little stronger than people expecting. There is a there is a, there is a consumer cycle in China. I mean, as we go from 4G to 5G, there's going to be a lot more purchases of cell phones coming up. They're also in the middle of a of an auto cycle. So we, we we're seeing no. China, China's growth above six percent next year, um, or at six percent at least. U.S. is looking better, too. Uh, certainly certainly well, this, this Fed being in, in accommodative territory is, is, is helpful. And with, on the whole, on the, whole the, the risk situation uh, improving okay. a bit on balance. Remember V-shaped bottom? <laughs> Are you going to apologize to yeah, Mr. No, Hooper no, from Mr. Lizetti? Like for Matt Lizetti, I mean, we've, we've staggered since August of 2007 from cliche to cliche to cliche. And we're just, I think you nailed it, frankly, with this whole thing of can these institutions reflate? Distract and deflect. It's a huge, yeah, I'll give you distract and. Thank you, Peter. Foss, Don. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Okay. Peter Hooper at Deutsche Bank Securities there, the Thank global you. head of economic research.
John, bring in Nicola Mai, and this is on the PIMCO view, which I think a lot of our listeners viscerally feel. A more conservative view going into 2020. Nicola Mai joining us now, PIMCO, Portfolio Manager, Sovereign Credit Analyst. Nicola, walk me through 2020, what you see, global growth, global inflation, U.S. growth, U.S. inflation, the kind of numbers you're looking for. Sure. Um, well, I would say that, you know, concerns about recession in 2020 have definitely been tempered because of a few positive developments. I mean, we have a trade deal between the U.S. and China. It's a limited one, but still, you know, no fur- further escalation for now. In terms of the trade war, we have monetary policy in the U.S., which is getting some traction, especially in the housing market. Brexit risks have been reduced. And, you know, there are some tentative signs of bottoming out in the manufacturing sector. So, what we expect essentially is a gradual reacceleration in growth. Um, the global economy that skirts a recession. Uh, I mean, the only thing I would say is that uh, you know, even though recession risks are lower, monetary policy is basically out of bullets. So if we do end up having a recession at some point, the loss given recession could actually be higher. Nicola, a lot of people are focused on the Federal Reserve and the ECB. Here at Bloomberg Surveillance, we're focused on uh, Sweden's Riks, uh, Riksbank, which is going to be potentially raising rates out of negative territory tomorrow. And they're doing it as a, quote, philosophical rate cut, uh, rate hike, as one person said, because they just don't think that negative yields are working. How closely are you watching that? Uh, well, we, we think the risk bank is interesting. I mean, we've, we've been writing about this. We think that negative interest rates have been kind of working so far in terms of like bank bank lending rates falling, in terms of credit growth actually accelerating at the margin. But there is some significant damage that is being inflicted by the negative rates on bank balance sheets, pension fund balance sheets, insurance companies' balance sheets. So we don't think negative rates have much further to run. And actually, the longer they persist, the more damaging they might become. So in this context, I think the Riks Bank is, is, is one of those institutions that is becoming, uh, you know, particularly worried about it. So I think the, the rate hike should be seen in that context. Yeah, and a lot of investors are eagerly uh, watching this, and certainly banks are excited about this because negative rates have certainly hurt their bottom line. How closely is the ECB watching, though, I mean, in order to figure out what their exit strategy could potentially be? So I, th- I think if you look at the ECB rhetoric, I think it's it's become more conscious of the fact of the side effects of the negative interest rates. I mean, if you think about the tiering, the introduction of tiering, it's you know it's a reflection of that as well. I think in terms of actually getting out of negative rate policy, I think it's going to be really hard for the ECB for now, because if the ECB were to start to hike rates in back to zero, I think the implications in terms of the currency could be significant, and in turn, that would have implications for inflation and growth. So at the moment, I I think they will be steady uh, at at this level. If they have to do more easing, our sense is that they'll focus more on quantitative easing, uh, liquidity operations, and forward guidance rather than bringing the rates further into negative territory. Nicola, the ECB has lost a lot of experience in the last 12 months, lost the chief economist Peter Prate, lost the ECB president Mario Draghi, and is about to lose Benoit Coury of the ECB executive board as well. He had a farewell speech in the last 24 hours, and the following quote is something that he delivered and everyone's jumping on. It was time to dismantle the absurd idea of an omnipotent central bank that can mechanically steer inflation. Do you think those thoughts will be a part of the monetary policy, the strategic review that the ECB and Christine Lagarde is undertaking? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's gonna, definitely going to be an interesting review. Um, I, I think monetary, uh, you know, I think the ECB and several uh, monetary policy uh, makers are realizing that it's actually uh, very hard to lift inflation because of secular forces like globalization and technology keeping inflation low. Um, but, you know, if I were to guess, I think the review, you know, what they might do is actually change the target a little bit from below but close to 2% to something a bit more symmetric, maybe just call it 2%. I think if they were to actually give up on the inflation mandate or on, on the 2%, that, that would, you know, would be quite damaging potentially, especially given how high debt levels are. So if you give up on inflation, you are probably going to create quite a bit of trouble. Bank of America Merrill Lynch did a recent credit survey of uh, investors in Europe, and one theme was a sort of barbell approach that people seem to be taking, where they go into high yield and AT1 uh, bonds, but then also uh, going long cash. And one of the big fears has been that inflation risks are underappreciated in markets. Do you feel like that consensus view heading into next year is accurate and, and coheres with where PIMCO's at? To be honest, we're, we're, I'm not too worried about inflation. As I mentioned, I think, you know, like there are these secular forces that are keeping inflation low. Phillips curves continue to look pretty flat. And in the current kind of fairly weak growth environment, I don't really see corporate pricing becoming aggressive. And, you know, I, I don't see significant uh, increases in inflation. I mean, over the long run, uh, there could be forces that lead inflation higher including protectionism um, and, uh, and that, that could uh, limit supply and, and eventually raise inflation. But I think these are longer-term yeah. phenomena. Uh, Nicola, thank you so much. Nicola Meyer with us with PIMCO. Seriously, economic data, uh, big time economic data the next two days. Thomas Purcelli with us now with RBC Capital Markets. Tom, have you marked down Q1 because of the Boeing effect? No, we haven't yet. Um, I mean, we obviously are, as most others, are fully aware that there is some uh, potential hit there. Um, but, uh, you know, wh whatever the hit is going to be, I, I you know, it's, it's just it's so ridiculously academic. I mean, whatever, what, you know, whatever they take, they're going to give back. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, whatever it is worth, I think people have to recognize, you know, just, just to use a, oh. uh, you know, Fed lingo, it, it's going to be a transitory effect. Is our, is our audience, our public, are they have to get used to sub 2% GDP? or near 2% GDP, that's unacceptable. It's un-American. <laughs> yeah, well, but the reality is, but that's that's what we've been doing, right? I, I, you know, there's there, there's no escaping from from that reality. I mean, it almost doesn't matter uh, how you want to look at it. But uh, you know, on a year-over-year -year basis, I mean, we've been sort of you know hugging you know over slightly over slightly under the two percent line for what the better part of the entire cycle. Um, I mean, there have obviously been periods where we've sort of you know gotten close to four percent, um, but then there have also been periods over the course of the cycle, you know, where we've gotten close to one and a half percent. But you know, the, again, we're hugging the two percent. Line, and that's been true for the vast majority of, of this expansion. And Tom, a lot of people would say that's just fine as long as nothing goes wrong. And I guess the margin of error gets a lot narrower when you get closer to that stall speed. I'm just wondering, how close are we uh, to a place that is unsustainable for an economic expansion? How far away? 
Yeah, Lisa, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a great question. And, and I think the way that you need to think of it is, you know, sort of what is the wherewithal for the consumer to continue to propel economic activity? And the reality is the, the U.S. consumers, and I mean, I, you know, I hate to use, you know, sort of very fluffy words, but, the, you know, they are in utterly fantastic shape. I mean, it almost doesn't matter how you want to look at it, um, you know, whether it's the level of savings, whether um, it's, you know, sort of you know, their, their debt to service ratios. I mean, by almost any measure, the consumer has the ability to continue to uh, propel consumption to around this, this, you know, sort of 2% pace. So, you know, this idea of recession is funny. We're, we're in the midst of writing uh, our year ahead. Uh, and, and, and the one thing that we said about the year that was, uh, was that, you know, d- despite the fact that it was actually a pretty good year, people were overwhelmed by negativity, right? It was like, Everyone kept on saying the recession is here, the recession is here, yet here we are, much to the conversation we were having a moment ago, chugging along at a, at a 2% pace. So, you know, I, I think what people have to do is they have to keep their eye on, uh, you know, a really important idea, and that is labor backdrop is really tight. Wage pressures are probably going to continue. The consumer, as a result, will be able to um, uh, really support a, a 2% profile from a growth perspective in the coming year. I just think it's great that RBC waits until the end of the year to put out the year ahead. You know how some people write this thing in October, going into November. They want to go on vacation. I'm very happy you do that, Tom. Just quickly, your assessment of the labour market. We're confusing so many different terms. Full employment, a cyclical peak in labour market conditions, then the Federal Reserve Chairman talking about slack. What's your assessment of the American labour market? The labor market is tight. Uh, I mean, I, I, there, that is a, that is an inescapable truth. Um, I mean, there's countless ways of, uh, of sort of driving that point home. Uh, you know, one of the ways that I think you can do it is look at the number of people that are not in the labor force. This economy has done a phenomenal job of pulling people that were not in the labor force back into the labor force. I mean, we are now back down to um, in sort of previous cycle levels uh, from a not in the labor force perspective. In fact, we would say that we've probably pulled all the people we can um, from from the backdrop. And, yeah. and Jonathan, you set me up nicely just to make this one really important point. Please. I think people have to get comfortable with this idea that job growth is going to slow down. Now, again, you're hearing this from someone who actually has a pretty constructive view in the backdrop. But the reality is we've pulled so many people from the sidelines. There's, there's, there's only so many additional people we can pull. Break even from a job growth perspective is about 100,000 jobs. So even if you slow down to 125,000 jobs on average per month, which is what we expect in 2020, you're still yeah. a Above break even. Um, that's still enough to keep the unemployment rate at a minimum steady and even push push down the unemployment rate to some extent. So I think we have to reorientate our thinking um, in that regard. We got to reorient ourselves to a discussion on wage growth with you uh, down the road. Tom Purcelli, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. With RBC uh, Thanks, Capital Tom. Markets. Paul, we look over at our screens here. We got like 42 TV screens in the studio to keep us all. We all do. We're up, yeah, we're up to speed. And nope. we're beginning like six hours, which you know is going to be seven or eight, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just going to go That's on how they and go. on. Of this really historic moment, whatever your politics, we'll try to keep the politics out of it right now and just talk about the 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 tenor of the day. We can do that with Emily Wilkins joining us now uh, from Bloomberg News in Washington. A- Emily, I speak of the tenor of the day. Is there, is it like excitement over this? Is there a sadness over this? What's the actual mood on Capitol Hill? Uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said throughout this process that this is a somber move. Uh, she has, you know, tried to do this without, you know, excitement, without a sense of, 
you know, she's not trying to portray this as some sort of victory for Democrats to do this. She's tried to keep it somber and solemn throughout. Prayerful is a word that she's used a lot. But right now, I mean, everyone's just sort of gearing up, as you said, for what is expected to be a very long day. At this point, we're not expecting to see votes on impeachment until around 730 this evening. So, Emily, give us a sense of what actually is going to happen today in the House of Representatives. So the House of Representatives are going to spend about the next six hours debating the rules for the articles of impeachment. And through that, we're going to expect to see Republicans try to do certain things to delay this process. We've already seen this morning them call for a vote on a motion to adjourn and everyone leave. Um, of course, because Republicans do not have the majority, none of these attempts are expected to actually proceed, but they could slow things down a little bit. But because the rule is structured, there isn't a lot of wiggle room. And so we definitely expect to see votes this evening. So, Emily, will there be any witnesses today or is this just uh, representatives going back and forth against each other, kind of pleading their side? This is, yes, this is just the representatives. This is to give lawmakers a time to come to the floor to speak, to make their case. We're going to be seeing perhaps witnesses over in the Senate, but the rules for how the Senate debate is going to go are still under discussion. That's going to begin in January, and that's something that people are looking to uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Minority Leader Chuck Schumer to see how they wind up working that out. What are you looking for after this vote? I mean, to be clear here, there's a vote tonight and we're done, right? In the House? In the House. Okay, then what happens next? What exactly happens next? So what happens next is that the House is going to take the articles of impeachment and bring them over to the Senate. Senate Did they do that on a silver platter? I mean, how do you actually do this? Does anyone know? You tweet it over? I think you actually have someone physically walk over between the walk over between the chambers and actually go ahead and announce to the Senate these articles of impeachment. I know that's the way they've done it for previous bills. Interesting. And and then, Emily, so give us a sense of when we get to the Senate, that is actually going to be a trial. So I'll go back to my previous question. Will I know there's a discussion point between um, uh, Senator Schumer and uh, McConnell about whether there will be witnesses called. How how do you think that's going to play out? I mean, right now, Republicans do have the majority over there, so they do have something of an edge, but things need to be done to yeah. consent. Uh, you know, Schumer has certainly asked for witnesses to come. The White House has wanted to witnesses to come. They've wanted to present their case. But there's also been discussion, and Bloomberg's reported, that there's some hope that this will be a pretty short process, that they can have the individuals from the House yeah. come over and present the case. We'll have Democrats present the case. We'll have Republicans present the case. And that they can move pretty quickly after that. Thank you so much, Emily Wilkins. Greatly appreciate it. What will be certainly a long day for her and all of our Bloomberg uh, News team in uh, Washington. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.